Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. So I got asked to introduce uh, Captain Sandy Holmes. And, uh, hmm. So she exudes, she bleeds blue and gold, and it's not rotary blue and gold, and actually it's not even the Navy blue and gold, it's actually University of Michigan blue and gold. So if you want to get a hold of her, you may want to check the sports schedule first, because if the Wolverines are playing, she probably won't pick up the phone. Um, but it's actually an honor to introduce um, our speaker because there's some themes throughout her life um, that are relevant to Rotary, uh, that being faith, service, and curiosity. Um, service, you know, joining the Navy so she could get a car, um, and then retiring from the Navy to avoid promotion so she could be a mom. Um, to curiosity of always wondering why this, why that, to faith of just trusting and putting one foot in front of the other and just trusting the results. Um, so it's my privilege to introduce the original captain of our, our family, my mom, Captain Sandy Holmes. Thank you, son. Um, thank you for inviting me to um, condense 26 years as a naval officer, nurse corps officer, into 20 minutes. Um, that has been a challenge. Which one? Oh, this. There we go. Okay. It all began in uh, December of 1964 at the NROTC unit, University of Michigan, when I was um, sworn in as a, initially as an OCHNW, and then um, th this was the picture when I was actually commissioned in December. In return for my tuition, books, and fees being paid, and I, I had the huge salary of $99 a month back then, I owed the Navy two years, and I figured I could do that standing on my head. Okay, son. I keep pushing. Okay. <laughs> I'm really not techno-savvy. He's the one. Um, one of the appeals of being in the military is travel. I'd never been further west than Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it was a delight to... Um, be able to travel across the United States en route to my first duty station, the Naval Hospital Oakland. And there I was. 
Now this is a picture of the Naval Hospital back in 1944 when it was first opened um, as a temporary facility for all of the casualties coming in from the Pacific Theater. And this is what it looked like in 1965. It hadn't changed a whole lot. This was where I started out. These were the first orthopedic wards. Uh, when they broke ground for the new hospital, we moved over here. This is 74, 75, 76 A and B, and 77. All of these um, single-story wooden buildings, barracks-like, were connected by a ramp. It was a covered ramp, but it was open from, you know, about the waist up. And on night duty, we covered the, all of those, all six. And it was five wards and two clinics, and we called ourselves a ramp tramp. And it was, it was absolutely amazing to see the deer and the raccoons and Lord knows what else would make a noise in the bushes. This um, hill scared me to death because the, I'll show you some pictures of the young fellows in their wheelchairs racing each other down the hill. This was the Navy Prosthetic Research Laboratory. This was the uh, main admin building. Behind it, sick officers. And something that was very new in those days was an intensive care unit. Officers Club was about over here. Okay, they were open bay wards, 40 beds. And the um, nurses station was up here. As the fellows got better and better, they moved further and further down the ward. I started out on a regular orthopedic ward for my orientation, and after about six or eight weeks, the uh, supervisor said, I'm gonna move you to 76B, and that was the amputee ward, and I was terrified. That was the first of several changes in assignment made by supervisors that I did not want. But you say, aye, aye, yes, ma'am, and you do what you're told. And they were always right. Um, it was a real challenge to care for them. They were only two or three years younger than I. Uh, the wounds were devastating, changing dressings, working with them on their exercises, getting them out of bed, encouraging them to get out of bed, encouraging them to, to do something instead of feel sorry for themselves. Um, I loved being at the bedside and taking care of them, trying to um, keep a stiff upper lip myself. And um, needless to say, they kept me on my toes. This is what, they're on their way to race down that hill. Um, <clears throat> luckily, I don't think anybody got hurt, but if they did, they didn't tell me. One of the, keeping up with their annex was a real challenge too. Um, every Friday we had ward inspection. One of the senior officers would come through and everything on that ward had to be spit, polished. You opened all the doors, the linen closet, everything had to be stacked just so. The wheels on the beds turned this way. All of the Venetian blinds at half mast and no gear adrift. So here I am one of the first times in charge of this ward by myself, no other nurse, and I have a wheelchair full of gear adrift. 
coffee mugs, hangers, civilian clothes, and it's about two minutes before the inspecting party is going to be there. And I, I must have looked very bewildered, and one of the patients said, Miss Kay, just leave it right here. We'll take care of it. You, you, you. So I did, and we walked through the ward, and I saw the wheelchair empty just next to a bed and no gear adrift. And I came back afterwards, and all of my amputees had grown legs made of coffee cups, <laughs> hangers, and the clothes. <laughs> so they were pretty clever. Um, one of the better aspects of the um, single-story wooden structures, you can see the ramp behind this one fellow was being able to get them outside in good weather. And of course, in California, we have good weather a lot of the time. And we even would bring them out in, the, in their beds, and they could visit with their families, their families could bring picnics. So that was the positive. The negative was that the firemen told me that these buildings would burn down in three minutes. So when I was on nights, it was um, always in the back of my mind, if we have a fire, how am I going to get these guys out of here? Fortunately, I never had to. One of the highlights, uh, my first tour on the 3 to 11 shift, I reported for, for duty and the supervisor said, you need to report to the sick officer's quarters. You've been assigned to special Admiral Nimitz for the rest of the week. Admiral Nimitz, five-star fleet admiral, um, just a delight as was his wife. So that was one of the things I'm very proud of. Just, I guess it was the spring of 1967, little travel as I mentioned, my roommate and I were able to get a hop. That's a free military flight, for those of you who are not familiar with our language. Uh, we flew with the Air Force over to Europe, had three weeks there. I circled um, the countries, some of the countries that I was able to visit. We came back on a Navy flight. So that was a real um, treat. And there, there we are, my roommate and I, the, the crew of the plane coming back, the Navy crew decided we should have um, flight suits on. I had extended my time in the Navy. My two years were almost up, and before we went on this trip, I said, okay, I'll stay in for two more years for an overseas duty station in the Pacific. And <clears throat> lo and behold, I had orders to Guam, an island that's 30 miles long and 16 miles wide. It's a lovely tropical island, but tropical means hot, and not just humid, muggy. And unfortunately, maybe you better stay here. <laughs> the ward that I was assigned to, only um, two of the wards were air conditioned. So I was on D3 here, and it was not air conditioned. Um, this was the main town, of, below us was Aganya, Guam. Over here was ASAN, we opened an annex there, which I'll tell you about in a bit. And on the other side of this peninsula was Tumon Bay. And that was the fabulous place to go snorkeling. The old bomb craters left from World War II, it was like being in the middle of a, a Disney movie with real live fish. It was just a fantastic. 
I understand now that there are about five um, Japanese hotels there on Tumon Bay now, and it's a resort for the Japanese for their honeymoons. Again, it was a 40-bed open bay ward. However, on the right-hand side, we had 20 bunk beds. So um, it was, uh, I really had my hands full there. Again, it was an orthopedic ward, and uh, my experience with amputees, a lot of the other staff um, in the orthopedic, we had two ortho wards, and the nurses had not had any experience. So I did a tremendous amount of teaching. Sunsets, that was one of the real positives on the island. Gorgeous, gorgeous sunsets. Uh, Kirk teases me because my slide series of Guam, and he said, every other slide, Mom, is a sunset. Negative, we had no lettuce and no milk for 18 months. It's no fun to go to the Oak Club on Friday night for steak and see sliced cabbage and gelled salad. Positive. Sunset. Yeah. <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? No. <laughs> uh, I was able to go. Guam is that circle down in the, in the lower right make trips to Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan. It was just terrific. Again, hops. One of the trips that was on a KC-135 tanker, and we, they had no seats, not even jump seats, so we sat on the floor on a blanket. The worst part of the 18 months there was the Tet Offensive. We were absolutely slammed with uh, casualties coming in from Vietnam. Instead of three times a week and maybe 10 to 15 patients, we received casualties every single day. The OR schedule was single space typed both sides of a legal sheet of paper. And it was almost like MASH in that we had one anesthesiologist doing anesthesia for two patients in one operating room at the same time. Very, very busy. And I guess the, the hardest part for me there, we also had some, some young men who had not sustained amputations, you know, minor orthopedic injuries, and we had to send them back in country. That was really tough. And I hadn't met Prince Charming, so I signed up for two more years if they would send me back to the West Coast. And this was Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton. Again, single-story wooden buildings. The ramps, however, were part of the whole structure. And I worked orthopedics there. However, it was my shortest duty station. I was only there four months. The day my household goods were delivered, the chief nurse called and said, how would you like to go to recruiting duty in San Francisco? I said, well, Cam, they just delivered my household goods. She said, they'll ship them again. So I'm sorry. I apologize for this. It worked when I practiced. Um, this was, this was uh, where the recruiting station for San Francisco was. It's the old federal building right near the Opera House. Um, and it's also, by the way, the, where Admiral Nimitz's office was during World War II. So I had another connection with him. I was called a killer uh, walking the streets of San Francisco into the office one day in my uniform. Fortunately, the hotbed um, in those days was Berkeley, UC Berkeley, for a lot of the protests, and they did not have a school of nursing, so I was saved from 
having to visit that campus and um, did quite well with the other um, college universities in the UC system. The um, best thing that happened on recruiting <laughs> was this gentleman. Dick was the um, chief of staff for the recruiting district for the eight western states. I, our, my district, I was responsible for two-thirds of California, Nevada, Utah, and Hawaii. And in today's day and age, probably dating him would have been considered fraternization. Fortunately, that had not reared its ugly head back in those days. Um, you said push hard, and I did. <laughs> I'll just point to you. Yes. Um, the Reader's Digest had contacted me while I was on Guam and asked me if I would do an article about working with the amputees. And after going back and forth, um, at one point they said, please write us six new endings. Finally, in September of 1970, Hey Hero was published. And this led to a lot of speaking engagements with many Rotary Clubs, as well as Lions, Rotary, um, I mean, Kiwanis, and Navy League, which was really good in those days because the attitude towards the military was so negative that the recruiters in the little branch stations were delighted to have an, an in, so to speak. October of 1972 found me heading down the coast to the Naval Hospital Long Beach. Um, this was one of the, the, well, I was rusty. My medical skills were, were rusty, having been away for three and a half years on recruiting duty. So they put me on a medical ward, which was sick officers' quarters. It was detox, and it was step down from cardiac care. Now, that medicine is no fun. I don't like medicine, internal medicine. I much prefer orthopedics. You take an x-ray, you see it's broken, it's cut off, and you go from there. Medicine, you have all these lab tests and what's going on, and so, you know, but it was a good place for me to get my feet back into nursing. And shortly after we got engaged, Captain Neal called me into her office when I got off nights and said, we want you to go take over Four East. Four East was the female surgical ward. And all the services could admit a patient to Four East. So that's GYN, general surgery, optometry, ENT, um, and uh, excuse me, ladies, but female patients are really not as much fun as the guys to take care of. <laughs> They're a little, y'all are a little more demanding. Um, and for instance, in those days, uh, how many of you have had cataract surgery? Okay. In those days, you were flat on your back for two weeks with a sandbag on either side of your head. Um, <clears throat> and as I said, um, you, if each service was conceivable, it never happened. But each service could discharge all of the patients on my ward one morning and that by that afternoon have filled all those beds with new admissions. It never happened that way, but that was a real challenge administratively for me to deal with so many admissions and discharges, as well as work with um, civil service nurses. Um, 
Dick proposed while I was there in September of 1973. We were married in April of 1974, and the Navy was kind enough to transfer me to the Naval Hospital Oakland in July of 1974. And this is what, go back one, Kirk, please. Um, this is the new hospital. And where I had worked up here, they're all gone. The other fun thing is, this is the freeway now, MacArthur Freeway, and that, what, the O Club, we ate lunch and watched that being built when I was there in 1965. Okay. Um, this is the new hospital, which was imploded uh, several years ago. I had an exciting job there. I was head nurse of two orthopedic wards, orienting new nurses to learn the ropes. And the best part was, as um, a newlywed, this is the Bay Bridge. This is Yerba Buena Island. These were our quarters, and um, this was our view. <laughs> so it's pretty neat. Um, I'd, we had only been there uh, about five months when the detailer called and said she wanted us to go to the Philippines. Dick was going to be uh, XO of Naval Air Station QB Point, which is here. They moved more dirt to build that air base than they did to build the Panama Canal. And then up the road, back, sweetie, please. This was the road. Our quarters were right here. And then the hospital was up here through the jungle. And this is a picture of the hospital. I started out as the um, assistant chief nurse and then was moved to be head of education and training for the hospital. And the first thing she did was wanted me to teach, a, a, go learn how to read EKGs and then come back and teach it. Um, our quarters were lovely. One of the best things was that we had um, a maid, full-time live-in maid, $25 a month, a yard boy who polished all my white shoes and polished all the brass, and we paid him, I think it was about $20 U.S. a month, and then a seamstress. Um, I was on the cover of U.S. Uh, Navy Medicine because it was very unusual to have two senior people in those days married uh, to one another. And I spoke at the Guagua Rotary Club in the Philippines. Have any of you spoken at a Filipino club? <laughs> you don't know what you're missing. One of the things I believe in, and so did Dick, is that when you travel abroad, you should immerse yourself in the culture of that country. He came home one day and said, honey, we're part owners of a fighting cock. And we traveled to some little tiny barrios, villages in the Philippines with our cock, who was called QB. And um, he did very well. We were treated like royalty. Many times we were the only Caucasians there. And in between fights, they invited us up to sit inside the ring. Luckily, we got to go back when the fight started. Um, more travel. We, we, which was great. Not as much as we wanted. We had hoped to get to Singapore. We didn't make it. And then from there, in 1977, I was assigned to the Naval Hospital at Pensacola, and Dick was um, the air operations at the Naval Air Station, which is, as many of you know, home of the Blue Angels. I was back in education and training again and grew to love it. It really was um, a challenge to work with a lot of new young people. 
And while I was there, I was uh, promoted to commander. This is the two commanders shortly before he retired in 1980. Another neat thing was that I was selected for graduate school. And I had one of my dreams come true. I always wanted to fly in a plane that Dick piloted. And we were able to go up on the Goodyear blimp and they let him take the, the helm. And so I got to fly with him. I went, I was accepted to the Medical College of Georgia. I got a degree in um, continuing education there. And the best thing about that um, experience was being able to attend the masters. I highly recommend it. It is just an awesome, whether you play golf or not, it's a must-see and um, tremendous experience. And this is my, that was my favorite hole, the last picture. It was just great. All good things have to come to an end, and you have to do what they call a payback tour in the Navy. Um, and I received orders to, as director of nurse corps programs at the Health Science Education and Training Command. Now, as you know, this is the Pentagon, which we fondly refer to as Fort Fumble. And our definition of Washington, D.C. is 68 square miles surrounded by reality. <laughs> and that was my, unfortunately, was my longest duty station, five years to the day. My office was right up here in this little metal thing on the side, on the 17th floor. This is the old tower at Bethesda where those of you have heard of Admiral Forrestal, that's where he supposedly jumped and committed suicide. Um, this is where Kirk was born in 1982. It, it gets worse. It gets worse. That was... 21 hours old. He's not so sweet, quiet, and innocent anymore, is he? <laughs> I was um, selected for captain while I was there in 1985, and I was promoted in 1986. This is the Pink Palace, Naval Hospital San Diego. That was the only billet available for a senior captain in education uh, when I rotated in 1986. And my office, this was the building 26, this was my office. And the major thing that I did was get um, the staff oriented, all 4,000 personnel oriented, that minotaur, all the new equipment for the new hospital. We moved in on Super Bowl Sunday, 1988. Retired in June of 1990, and as Kirk said, I got to be a mom. Uh, he was only eight, and um, so I got to do the PTA and soccer mom, t-ball, and all of that. I didn't want to include this, but Kirk insisted. Um, I went back to Washington for a Guam reunion. Um, that group of us are closer than any other duty station, and I'm sure it's because of what we went through. But we, they planners coincided that with the dedication of the Vietnam Women's Memorial. And I made the front page of the Washington Post the next morning. It turns out that Tim and Bill, who were two of the patients I cared for on Guam, had been looking for me for 25 years to say thank you. And we did. I don't know if you can read it. I told Kirk he's going to have to read it if you can't see the print. Um, 
I was blessed. A lot of people go through life, go through a career, and nobody thanks them for what they did. So this was really um, one of the highlights of my life and obviously of my career. I learned more from them, I think, than um, they could thank me for. I learned that um, there's always somebody in worse shape than you are. That you have to keep your sense of humor and find the best in where you're stuck, whatever it is. Um, make the best of it. Really need to laugh. That tough love is very important. And all the travel, I realize that there's no place like the U.S. of A. We're blessed. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I think we have time for one or two questions if we have some quick ones. Uh, Cap Captain Holmes, first of all, thank you for your service and your dual role in bringing us Kirk into the club, who's just been incredible. Thank you. Uh, I, I have a question. Uh, is there any relation to uh, the fellow who operated the cable system on, on Guam, a fellow by the name of Lee Holmes? No, not that I know of, no. Oh, okay. I, I worked on building that, that system, and given the last name, I, uh, I thought maybe he was also a Navy guy. Uh, in, in no, it was Kirkpatrick back then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And I would like to uh, present to you, we have an award we give every week to our speakers. It's the... Um, Share What You Can Award, and we give this uh, in your, uh, a meal in your name to a needy veteran here in Las Vegas. Thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you. Sorry, we, we missed a smile. And <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, uh, and as President Michael likes to say, rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.